Hello everybody and welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Joel Kamm from Chicago. How you doing today, Joel? I'm well. And it, it, Tell me why it's called Project Egg. Cause, is it because I'm an egghead? <laughs> no, if anybody it would be me. But no, it's, uh, it's Project Egg stands for Entrepreneurs Gathering for Growth. Ah, so it's, that uh, legit. <laughs> nice, nice acronym. Great. Thank you. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an absolute sure. pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, so let's dive right in. First question, what is your story? Uh, which part of it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story. It's multitudinous. Are we talking in particular my online business story? Uh, I want to get to know you as a person from the beginning. So okay. however those all intersect. Uh, well, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm from Chicago suburbs. If you've ever seen the John Hughes films, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Breakfast Club, that's my neighborhood. That's where I grew up. He went to my high school, and so he wrote those films. So if you want to, you know, that really, you know, with the exception of the extremeness of Ferris Bueller being off the chart ludicrous, that was uh, my, you know, middle class upbringing and um, always been into music. And it was uh, my love for music that led me to be a DJ when I was in college at Rock 107 WPGU, Urbana-Champaign's classic rock. And um, out of college at University of Illinois, I moved to uh, Dallas, Texas, because I didn't want to be in Illinois anymore. And if you want to know why, just think how cold it is there right now. And I moved to Texas and uh, started working as a DJ in nightclubs. Um, in Dallas, and that led to my first entrepreneurial venture, which was being a mobile DJ, performing at wedding receptions and class reunions and pool parties. Uh, I did that for a number of years. Uh, along that same path at the same time, I was also always a nerd and into computers. In fact, I had saved from my first job working at the food court enough money to buy a TRS-80 Model 1 computer with 4K of RAM from Radio Shack. I'm really dating myself now because it was a long time ago. But I was dialing into the online world pre-internet uh, on my 300 baud modem in 1981. So technically that means I've been dialing into the online world for almost four decades. Whew. Wow, now I feel old. And um, it was that same love for technology and nerdiness over computers that led me to the internet world. And I started my first website in 1995. And I've been doing tech um, entrepreneurial ventures ever since. And, and I've uh, played in a lot of different uh, sandboxes. I've created software. I've done apps. One of my iPhone apps went to number one in the world. I've written 15 books, uh, some of them very strategic, making money with Google AdSense or um, using social media like Twitter, others uh, more around entrepreneurship or lifestyle. And I'm a keynote speaker. I have the privilege of getting to travel all over the world and and talk at events. I currently do a podcast with Travis Wright called The Bad Crypto Podcast that is a popular podcast in the blockchain, cryptocurrency, and Bitcoin arena. And um, I'm forever 12 years old on the inside. I'm never going to grow up. Well, same here. I'll for, forever be 12 years old. I'm glad to have found a kindred spirit. Yeah. Um, so let's let's jump back into your childhood for a moment. Okay. You, I believe you mentioned when you were younger, 
you truly had a passion for music. Yeah. Where did that passion come from and how did you identify that in your life? Uh, you know, I think uh, my mom told me that when I was little, 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 I was the one that would wake up in the morning and always be singing at the breakfast table. And not that I had a great voice, just I always had a song in my heart. And, you know, so for those that needed their coffee to get started in the morning, it was always shut up, Joel, you know. Um, and I remember my mom used to listen to Broadway musicals. And um, I, I really liked those. And it was probably when I was about 10 years old, I want to say, that I got turned on to AM radio in Chicago and started hearing pop music and rock music for the first time. And I'm like, this is, this is great. I just, I loved it. And I listened to the radio all the time. And once I got a record player, you know, I play records, go to the store and buy 45s, you know, the, the latest singles for 79 cents or whatever they were at the time. And just uh, always, always been into music. And how did that translate as you got older into becoming a DJ? Like, what was that process? Maybe you could share more of that story. Yeah, you know, it's really funny because as an entrepreneur, we don't always have clear sight of what it is that we'd be good at. And I remember being in college at University of Illinois, and it was, I think, the summer between sophomore and junior year that a family member said to me, why aren't you, you know, on the radio at college? And and I never really thought, oh, that would be me. But when she said that, I was like, I, I do love music. And when I was a little boy, I used to play DJ for my family. You know, I would just, I would put on records and assuming they'd be entertained. And um, so I went and I auditioned and got a job as a DJ. And, you know, being a DJ on the radio um, sounds glamorous. It's not, especially in this day and age where you don't get to play what you want. They give you a playlist. It's all, you know, at least in that day, you used to pick up a record, put the needle on the record and have, now you just push a button or hit play or something. Um, it's, it's different, but it did lead me into nightclub DJing, which was a lot of fun. And then into my own business, which was not only fun, but way more profitable. When you were, moving from loving music and really not sure like what you'd be good at and then you, you got that uh, recommendation or suggestion and then you actually started mm -hmm. how did that shape your identity as an individual um, and did you feel entrepreneurial at that point like how how were you feeling at that time yeah, I think I did. I, I remember I was working at the club and uh, a fellow DJ I knew was doing private parties. And one day he double booked and he said, do you want to do one of these for me? And he told me what it paid. And it was like $50 an hour. Um, I was probably making $16 an hour at the nightclub. I'm like, yeah. So I rented some equipment because he didn't have another set. And um and I made, you know, a hundred bucks or so doing that party. And then I started thinking I could do this. And so I bought my own gear and registered my own business and went out there and, and uh, sold myself. Concurrently, I'm also getting into sales. Um, I've done a lot of other 
things along the way. But one of the things that I did was I started picking up on Zig Ziglar materials and I read his book, See You at the Top. And I got a job selling those emergency response systems. You know, the commercials with the, the people I've fallen and I can't get up. I went to the poorest parts of Dallas and East Texas and met with people that were seriously ill or elderly or both and they needed the solution and it was a it wasn't door to door but it was in home stuff they gave me a lead and I would go and meet with these people and and uh, ascertain if they could afford a $2,000 product with monitoring and so I cut my teeth on Zig Ziglar's secrets of closing the sale and uh, learned a lot about what people want and what they need and, and how to persuade but not manipulate. And uh, that then became uh, my next step was as an encyclopedia salesman. I sold Britannicas for, I don't know, a year and a half or so and, and did okay with it. I sold enough to you know uh, supplement my income. So between these sales positions and um, starting my own business as a DJ, I had enough money coming in. I was married at the time and, uh, you know, had a toddler and then another toddler. And, you know, you got to do what you got to do to support your family. Now, running your own business while also still working with another company, mm -hmm. I'm sure there may have been some sort of competing philosophies there, right? Like on, on one side, you're building your own dreams and you need to spend your time there. And on the other side, you have to make some money and, and uh, learn those skills and, and go into helping somebody else chase their dreams while mm -hmm. building yourself up at the same time. But for somebody who may be at a crossroads right now where they want to start a business, but they have a job or maybe they're trying to make their business work but it's not picking up as fast as possible. What sort of recommendations could you make to help them figure out, do I stay with the job? Do I go full into entrepreneurship? Do I do some sort of hybrid? What would be your suggestions there? Well, there's not a one size fits all. I wish there were, because then we'd plug it into the formula and everybody would have exactly what they wanted. But then it really wouldn't be worth as much, right? Because there's something about going through the trials to get there. Uh, you know, I wrote a book this last year called The Fun Formula. And it's, it's all about following your own curiosity and passions. It's about taking risks and it's about trusting the process. So in reverse order, first thing is to be patient. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with the process. The time might not be right. Uh, some things you can't force. And trying to force things sometimes means you could do damage to them. Right. So you have to give your life room to breathe and, and don't always be thinking about where you're going, but think about where you are. You got to carpe the diems. You have to seize the day that you have now, because let's face it, none of us know how many days we have. And uh, the older you get, you start seeing, um, you know, either tragedies around you that, you know, something unexpectedly happens to somebody or somebody gets sick and, and, you know, and they die and that's what happens. Uh, you know, when we're younger, we feel immortal, but it's until you realize that, you know what, this is me one day. And so putting off till tomorrow, attempting to find joy in your life today, regardless of where you are, is a big mistake. Um, oftentimes people strive for that someday. And then when that someday arrives, uh, they're like, oh, that, that's it. That's what I was going for. What did I miss out out? on along the way. So I think trusting the process is essential. Um, following your own natural curiosity and listening to your gut. 
um, and getting the advice of wise counsel to, you know, parents, friends, family members, business associates, and taking it all in and processing for yourself what you want to do means you then have to take a risk. Uh, and either way you go, it's a risk. If you stay in the J-O-B, tick-tock, time is, is going by you, and there's the risk of sacrificing yourself on the altar of security. But if you leave that and you go do your own thing, guess what? There's the risk that you might fail at it. You might not accomplish what you had hoped to. And I've been on both sides and, and it's continually like that. Here I am. I'm 54. Uh, yeah, I'm 54. And I've been doing online business since 1995. And I still take risks. I still try things that I don't know if they're going to work or not. And I don't think so far ahead to go, okay, two years from now, here's where I want to be, let alone five years or 10 years. I live more in the here and now, and I want to make sure that I'm having fun doing what I'm doing, that I'm bringing value doing what I'm doing, and that in some way I'm compensated. Um, it doesn't always mean financially. There's lots of different ways to be compensated, but it, it's really about finding your own groove. That's a long-winded answer to what I think was a simple question. Well, I love that you gave a long-winded answer. I'm very appreciative of that. You talked about how trusting the process is important because a lot of the times when we give up so much to get to the thing that we wanted, we've missed out on the joy of getting there. Yeah. For you, what does that joy look like? What is that joy for you in your life? You know, what I've discovered is that the things that we are told by society that we should pursue, which are money, power, fame, are actually in the long run the least satisfying of things that we could acquire. And, you know, looking back on my life now, I wasted a lot of time um, hustling. You know, today there's this big movement around the hustle and the grind, which absolutely makes me nuts because I think that that is actually personally destructive. You might get what you want financially, um, but personally you might pay a cost. And so the two most important things to me, um, you know, at the end of my life are the people in my life and the experiences that, um, that I get to enjoy in my life. Certainly, there's fulfillment in uh, a project well done, a job well done, um, but that's part of the you know the people that I'm doing it with and the experiences that I'm having. And so I th I think that that has got to be primary. Now I'm not saying don't pay your bills. I'm not saying don't be a responsible human being to your family, to your kids, to whoever you're responsible to, because there are seasons of life where you do have to hustle. You have to do the work. You have to, you know, sometimes that means long hours, but as a lifestyle, it's not sustainable. It leads to broken relationships and health problems and emotional problems. And it's the wrong priority. We're not designed for that. In fact, you know, when I reverse engineer my successes and my failures, Ben, um, I've probably had what I would call seven major home runs in my career. Now, if you look in the failure column, there's the numbers are more, they're in the double digits. But when I look at the failures and the successes and not the, not the things in the middle, but the, the extremes, I realized that it was the times that I was working my butt off, that I was hustling and grinding 
that usually led to my biggest failures. The successes are the ones that most often came with the least amount of effort. It's because I was in my groove. I was following my natural, my own fun formula and everybody's got their own and you've got to get in tune with yourself to figure out what that is. And it means tuning out the voices of the world and really being introspective and following your own heart your own passions and your own desires, and then looking at the talents and the abilities and the skills that you have. And how does that all work in with my personality and who I am and who I want to be? Um, and you know, everybody's got to find that on their own. That's why it's not a mathematical formula, uh, but I believe that these elements are important and, and uh, work for everybody. You mentioned how you had on the extremes, about seven, I believe you said, home runs. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there were there were some failures too. But and the great in between. Right. <laughs> now, where we kind of left off on your journey was you were working in sales mm-hmm. and you had your own business and you started to build your family and you had two kids. Can right. you take us from that spot through the seven home runs up until now? Um, I can try. So 1994, uh, I remember reading a computer game magazine and I've always been into computer games. I played the very, I, I played Pong when it came out. I, you know, remember when Space Invaders came out. So I, I've been playing video games and computer games from the beginning and I still do. In fact, I'll probably fire up Overwatch or Warcraft or something today. That'll be downtime and playtime for me. And um, I remember reading a game magazine and thinking, you know, I bet the people who review these games get all the free software that they want. And at a time where, you know, I didn't have money to throw around, I thought, what if I start a little local zine? That's what we call them at that time. And I lived in Dallas and I thought, I'm going to call it the Dallas-Fort Worth Software Review. And I got on the phone with these different software manufacturers, and I had a script. Hi, my name is Joel Kahn. I'm the editor at the Dallas-Fort Worth Software Review. We're very interested in – it was a script, literally. I had to read this to kind of get used to what am I doing here. Well, it got really easy to talk to these people, and it was like Christmas every day at my house. Packages were coming in via postal service, UPS, FedEx, DHL, foreign services. There were days that six, seven, eight boxes (coughs) would show up, and my wife was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, reviewing software. And... um, so I, I actually laid out and designed this publication and distributed a thousand copies of it throughout the Dallas area to give away, you know, for people to read. And um, one of the people, a, a guy I knew online said, why don't you code this in HTML and put it on the World Wide Web? So it was late 1994. And I said, what? January 1995, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and my eyes were opened to this next phase of the internet, to the browser, to the web. And by July of that year, I had my first website up. It was called worldvillage.com, and uh, it's it's still online. It's, a, it's kind of the ignored child, unfortunately, because I've not paid much attention to it, but I still own that very first site. Uh, that year, there was only 18,000 websites in the whole world, 
And so I was, you know, probably around website number 10 or 11,000 of those that were set up. And um, I remember um, I quit my job and I had a partner at that time, but he went to work for um, a Fortune 50 company. And uh, so I was on my own and I was running out of money. And it was about a year later that uh, I looked at my checkbook and there was three figures in the checkbook and that included the decimal point. And um, I started to go, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. Why is it not working out? And uh, I'm not a religious man, but I am a person of faith and I do believe in God. And at that moment, I did the only thing I could think of doing. Um, and that was I fell on my knees and I said, help. You know, if I'm supposed to do this, I need money to fall out of the sky. One week later, Ben, call it whatever you want. One week later, I got an email from a stranger in Washington state who claimed to represent a Japanese multimedia conglomerate that I never heard of, let alone could pronounce. And they were interested in licensing my content from my website and translating it into Japanese and putting it up on their website. And I thought, well, this would be good for, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month or something. Well, one of the things I learned in sales is when the other guy is talking, you shut up and listen and let them talk. And I let this guy talk. And before I knew it, he was offering me $5,000 a month to license my content, license my content. Now, remember, this is 1996. This is 22 years ago. So 5000 went a lot further. After some negotiations, it ended up being $7,500 for a year and a half. And it, it the money fell out of the sky. There was no other explanation for it. And that turned things around for me. Uh, and in fact, I think I could say really with um, without prejudice that when I look at all of my major successes, there is that element of did I really do that or was there an invisible hand, you know, involved in guiding that somehow for some reason? And uh, that keeps me humble because when I look at the things that I've done and that I've really worked hard for personally and see them come to failure, I'm like, maybe that wasn't something I was supposed to be doing, you know, after all. So needless to say, that helped keep the business in business. I didn't have to go look for a J-O-B again, and I was really glad for that. And a short time after, a uh, my webmaster knew that I liked games, and he pointed out to me there was this website that this grad student at, at University of California, San Diego, was working on. It was one of the earliest versions of a multiplayer game room. Uh, he had built this beta version of a site where people could play chess and checkers and spades and hearts against other people in real time. And he had a few of his friends that were testing it and kicking the tires. And I introduced myself to this guy. His name was Aaron. And I said, this is really cool what you've built. What would you think of us partnering up? You keep coding it. I'll help brand it and we'll launch it out to its own site and see if we can grow it. And he agreed. And uh, we called it ClassicGames.com. And we grew this thing and added, there was like 16 games, I think, after about a year. And I tried to then find a, a major partner because we had, you know, I think at our peak back in those days, we had five or 600 people playing at one time, which for 1997, I guess, was a lot. And um, I started trying to sell it. And Ben, I contacted the big search engines at the time, Excite. Uh, Lycos, um, digital 
where I can't remember the name, Alta Vista. There was a bunch of them. And none of them had the vision. They all just wanted to be search engines. They didn't see themselves as portals. But it, it was um, an email that I got from the biggest site at the time that was Yahoo that really got my attention. Um, the the uh, chief entertainment Yahoo, his name was Eric, I believe, at, uh, at Yahoo came to me and said, we like what you're doing. We're looking at branching out into other types of content. Would you be interested in partnering with us? Long story short, they ended up acquiring ClassicGames.com for seven figures, and it became the foundation for Yahoo Games. And so that was my first, that, that's what I would call my first, you know, Grand Slam home run. I can always and forever say I sold a site to Yahoo. Doesn't mean as much today because Yahoo screwed things up and uh, they're, they're not the king anymore. But for a long time, um, they were. So uh, from that moment forward, I never had to deal with, you know, debt again. And um, it was a good feeling. Never, you know. To this day, I still, whenever I use my credit cards, I pay them off every month. And, you know, I've had mortgages, but I see that as a little, a little different. Um, so it, then uh, you, you just want me to keep going through my history? Yeah, this is amazing. Please. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I suppose you could transcribe this and turn it into a, a, a mini biography if you want to. Um, I'm going to skip over some things, but I'm just going to try and hit on the high points. In uh, 1990. Eight or nine, I I had been buying a lot of stuff online, and I loved e-commerce. I just thought this is this is the coolest thing. I could order something and they'll ship it to me. I mean, I was buying from Amazon really early on. I was using eBay really early on, and I realized that there were services. Um, a lot of these businesses offered coupons and discount codes for uh, people to save money online. I thought, what if there was a website where we had a, like a compilation? of all the newest coupon codes and we would monetize with affiliate links because all these merchants you could have affiliate links and get paid commission and so i built dealofday.com and deal of day became one of the top couponing and discount sites on the web we built up uh, you know forums where people would discuss the latest deals they found <clears throat> i ended up selling it made me a lot of money over the years i ended up selling that site i want to say six seven years ago um, for a nice sum. And uh, unfortunately, I think that the new owners killed it, which, you know, that happens so often. There's an acquisition and then it just goes downhill from there. So it's unfortunate. Um, but for me, that was a home run as well. Both the running of the site, um, you provided it was a great business model and um, found other ways to monetize it as well. And then the selling of the site. Uh, was was all part of that uh, thrill. Now I was also there for the dot com collapse. You know when the the bubble burst in two thousand because people were throwing millions of dollars behind online businesses just because they had a dot com at the end of them, and a lot of them were not good business models. Uh, but so I had to lay off everybody that was working with me, including myself. And it's a good thing I had sold that site and made the money earlier because <clears throat> I've never been one of those to spend everything I have. There's some people that come into money and they have to buy the big house and they have to buy the boat and they, you know, jewelry and extravagance. And I've just never been like that. You know, enough is enough for me. And uh, so I always made sure that I put some in the bank. And it's a good thing because nothing keeps going forever. 
you know, and I've been in the situation enough times to know that just because things are rolling along right now, doesn't, it's not going to stay that way. It just, it never does. Things change. It's the one certainty, you know, we have in our lives is that nothing's going to stay the same. And so I remember thinking, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. And it's going to be big. It's going to come back. And the next wave of internet and e-commerce is going to be bigger than ever before. And it wasn't until 2000 and late 2003, um, I had experimented with a number of different ways to monetize my sites. But I came upon this thing called Google AdSense which was a form of uh, the other side of the AdWords coin. So basically, if you want to advertise on Google and their partnership um, portfolio of sites, you buy ads through AdWords. With AdSense, they said, if you're a site publisher, we'll run some of those ads on your site. And what they did is they created a technology that would run ads that were contextually relevant to the content on your page. <clears throat> and so... I learned how to do this and I started telling some friends how they can make more money with their websites and they were blown away at how much money they started making. And one of them, somebody suggested you should write an ebook. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll write an ebook. So I wrote an ebook called What Google Never Told You About Making Money with AdSense. It was 66 pages. And I thought, you know, I'm making $500 a day in passive income with Google AdSense. I'm going to sell this book for $77. Well, I did. And it blew up. I thought, you know, if over the life of the book I could make $10,000 on it, that would be phenomenal. It made that much the first week because people were hungry to figure out how to make money online. And I wasn't tell, see, you know, selling them some tricky strategy that I had come up with. It was Google and it was this legitimate service. And I had just packaged it in a way that said, look what you can do with this. And um, that led to me being asked to speak at events. It led to a second edition of the book, which I priced at 97 and sold for even more, and a third edition. Before you know it, I'm, I'm up on stages at internet marketing events teaching people how to make money with Google AdSense. And I met a, um, a publisher, a small independent publishing house uh, called Morgan James Publishing. The owner was David Hancock. And David said, we could turn your ebook into a physically published book. And I thought, <clears throat> why would I want to sell this $97 ebook that I'm selling thousands of copies of for $16.95 and make a lot less? And I learned that doing a book is not about book sales. It's about where the book can take you. It's a vehicle. And I said, all right, let's, let's do the book. And uh, I looked at him and I said, have you ever had a New York Times bestseller? And he said, never. And I said, well, I'm going to be your first. And he laughed. And I was, I didn't know any better. I just thought I'm going to do this. And, and I said, no, really. He said, I'd be great with that. I said, okay. And sure enough, uh, the AdSense code came out in spring of 2006 and hit the New York Times bestseller business uh, list two weeks in a row and for the month and gave him his first New York Times bestseller title and me my first and my only New York Times bestseller title. And so, you know, that was a home run for me. And that opened all kinds of doors. And I really learned the power of the book, which is why to date I've written 15 books in a lot of different niches because each one opens up a, uh, a different door and, and leads to new adventures 
for me, which uh, which I love because I, I get bored really easily. I like doing new things. Uh, but this um, <clears throat> the AdSense ebook and all the training that I did as a result of that uh, led me to speak at Tony Robbins events and Harv Eckers events and and uh, you know on, on London uh, in London at the O2 Arena on stage in front of six thousand people teaching how to make money online. Um, I built my business in Northern Colorado and uh, got into the app making business, built a, um, one of the first thousand apps that was in the iTunes app store in 2007 and, uh, <clears throat> in 2008 released, actually the, the iPhone came out in 2007, the app store opened in 2008. So July 2008 was the release of the first app, but it was the next one that came out in December that made a big stink. And uh, I say that with pun intended because I'm the creator of the now infamous iFart mobile app, um, novelty application that uh, through a series of interesting and clever marketing and right timing and, and humor ended up going to number one in the app store in the world and stayed there for three weeks. Um, it, to this day, it's still pops up in media coverage and um, that was a huge home run yeah, that got me all kinds of media attention including being on John Stewart's daily show uh, where I actually came out looking pretty good amazingly so uh, I also around that time thought that uh, what Donald Trump was doing with The Apprentice <clears throat> was a super cool reality show idea you know he and Mark Burnett came up with a, a format that was a hit and I thought what um, what if we combine this reality show idea <clears throat> with the rise of this site called YouTube and created the world's first competitive internet reality show and actually bring in contestants and teachers and offer prizes and it was called The Next Internet Millionaire. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm doing so much talking. Came out in 2007, got an honorary Webby Award. Uh, people can still find... Um, the video is uploaded on YouTube if they want to see what we uh, did with it. And that ended up being a, uh, a home run for us as well because all the attention that that, that brought me and the credibility that it reinforced for, um, for my brand. Uh, I'm getting tired of talking about myself. Ask me a question. <laughs> okay. That was amazing, by the way. And thank you so much for sharing all those things. My um, pleasure. It, it seems like one of the recurring themes throughout all of these uh, accomplishments, all of these home runs, is that you were able to to take a really good idea and execute it and, and take it to the top. How did you go about making sure that that execution went how you wanted it to go? Like what was the secret to executing? Um, I wish, again, I wish there was a one size fits all for this. There's not because I haven't told you about the things I tried to execute that failed. You're only hearing about the ones that work. But I think if I look at the, the, the key elements, it's surrounding myself with people who are very talented and gifted at what they did. Um, I couldn't pull this off by myself. You know, I got to be the face of it all, but without the team, without, you know, the programmers or the graphic designers or, you know, the, the people that helped with the marketing, my ideas would have just stayed right here and they wouldn't have ever become a reality. So I think recognizing 
what you're good at and what you bring to the table and then more importantly recognizing what you're not good at not trying to do those things but finding the right people that will partner with you that'll joint venture with you that you can pay whatever it is to accomplish those parts of the tasks and then then there's that the, the unknown element you know why did this particular person in the media pick up on this story and from that it became viral uh, the, they're unanswerable. Uh, some people call it chance or luck. I don't necessarily believe in that. I, I think I more believe in faith. But trying to ask why one thing succeeded and another great idea didn't, it, it's a mystery to me. You mentioned how <clears throat> it's extremely important to figure out what you are good at and, and also recognize yeah. what you're not. Yeah. And, and to me, it's very interesting to think about that and, and to learn and really hone in on our superpower, if you will, right? So what would you say is your superpower and is the thing that you do the best in the whole wide world? Um, you know, you would think that as many times as I've gotten asked this question, I would have a pat answer to it. And even as you're asking, I'm thinking, oh, no, here comes that question, my superpower. Um, I think I am the best in the world, hands down, there's not even any competition at being me. That's it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just doing me, which by the way, you're the best Ben Gothard, you know, that there is, uh, at least this version. I'm sure there's probably other people named Ben Gothard out there. Um, you have some doppelgangers, but I just try to live true to myself, doing what I want to do, following the, the rabbit down the holes that are interesting to me, taking the risks that are worth risking for me, and looking at the various opportunities that come my way as invitations to dance. Uh, for example, I, out of the blue today, I got invited to um, a, a major software company, uh, has a conference coming up you would know who they are but i'm not going to mention the name and they said reaching out to you because we've researched you and and we would like to invite you to our event as an influencer and we're going to fly you out and comp your room and and i looked at, i didn't expect it. it came out of nowhere it's happening uh, in april and i thought oh another invitation to dance to play to show up in a situation that i didn't expect with uh, people that mostly that I don't know, although I do recognize a couple names from their, their influencer roster, and have an experience. And what I've realized is those invitations to dance, those experiences are usually what opens up new doors. Now, I don't go expecting doors to open. I don't go with expectations, period. I just show up. And see what happens. And maybe it leads to something. Maybe it doesn't. But if I don't have expectations in mind already, then I'm going to get benefit just from being there. And uh, that's kind of, I think, that's part of me. Um, and that is, that is my secret sauce. The good news is you've got your own secret sauce. And everybody listening or watching, you've got your own secret sauce. And don't try to let anybody tell you what the formula for your success should be. I mean, if you look at the, the greatest successes of all time, right? If you look in business, 
whether or not they were successful as human beings or not, different story. But, you know, when you look at Steve Jobs, he marched to his own drummer. Henry Ford, you know, did his own thing. Jeff Bezos, they laughed at him. I remember when he started. I remember reading the articles uh, about this this clown that was going to sell books out of his garage online and they laughed and i remember seeing the articles like it was yesterday and i thought to myself you guys don't get it this is going somewhere now i wouldn't have dreamed that it would be amazon as big as it was today but i knew he was on to something and uh i i I just i recently listened to an audiobook from david goggins have you heard of him he's a uh his he's uh uh, Navy SEAL, one of the biggest badasses with the the most difficult upbringing and childhood that you would imagine, what he's overcome. He's got a book called Can't Hurt Me. And one of the things that really stood out to me in his book is he said, don't listen to anybody who's not trying to do what you're trying to do. There's always critics, there's always haters, there's always jealous people, there's always people that want to see you fail, and I feel sorry for them. Like, wow, that must be really sad to be you. And I just want to encourage people, just don't listen to those voices. Just really be the best version of yourself, and don't try to be anybody else. This generation of kids that is growing up with these Instagram idols, and, and they, they think that being productive is taking the perfect selfie and having a lot of people follow you because of how you look or how you dress or the people you hang out with. Talk about empty and void and meaningless. I don't think that that's what we're created to be or the value that we're created to deliver to the world. And uh, march to your own drummer. It's okay to say, I'm not buying into that. Here's what I think is more important. You mentioned how you're the best at being you. You're the best Joel that, you know, there is. Yeah. How has your view of self, your self-identity, been transformed throughout all of your successes and failures? I mean, I'm sure you're a different person now than you were when you first got started. How has your identity changed over time? What was that transformation like? Um, You know, identity to me... If it comes from what we do or who we know or what we have, it's a false identity. Uh, You know, I I am not um, what I do. I am not what uh, what I have. I am even I'm not even what I've accomplished. You know, I told you I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. I believe that I am who I am, I believe I have value because God created me. I mean, what, well, what, what, who, what can give you more value than that? To know that I'm alive and I'm alive for a reason. There's a, there's a purpose here. This is, I don't think that we're here by accident. And there, what could possibly deliver more value than the recognition that you're here for a purpose? No amount of money can uh, can give you better identity than that now that said i'm just a human being in a human body with human feelings and human frailties and flaws and uh, life has humbled me uh, a good bit and i think our failures shape us more than our successes Um, and you know for me that's meant failure in business 
and it's meant failure in relationships. You know, I'm, I'm not married anymore. I was married for 23 years to a woman I love very much, had two kids who I love very much, but the marriage didn't last. And you learn a lot about yourself when you go through trials of loss, when you lose uh, somebody near to you, whether it's relationship or when you lose a business or, you know, when you lose that, losing money is really horrible if you've put your value in that money. That's why a lot of people start questioning who they are when circumstances change and all of a sudden things aren't going the way they were. So I, I really um, recommend that people don't find their identity in things that are transient, things that don't last. Um, so for me, I've, I've grown um, you know, dramatically from – being a child to a young adult to, you know, an entrepreneur as a young man to who I am today. And I don't for a moment pretend that I've arrived. I know that that change is going to continue and there there's more growth ahead. And so kind of leaning into that whole process, settling into this is my life. And for as long as I'm here, um, I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow and I'm going to change. And, and through all that, I'm going to seek to bring value because I think that that's really our responsibility. Uh, you know, if we're not here by accident, if we're here for a purpose and we're not living that purpose in some way, then we're kind of doing others around us a, a disservice and injustice because they don't get to benefit for the reason that we're here. And uh, that that's a shame. I'm very interested in people's theories, right? Their, their theories on, on life, their theories on a particular subject. <clears throat> what would you say is the theory that you hold most dearly to you? And what is that theory? Uh, are we talking like existential or are we talking like down to earth? What, um, what kind of, what theory are we going for? Whichever one is most important to you. Um, well, I think I just said it uh, because there's nothing more important than us being alive and having purpose here on Earth, uh, using our, our God-given um, talents and, and uh, skills and the, the abilities that we learn and acquire over our lives and combining that with our personality and how we show up in the world um, and, and figuring out where does this, how does this all work together for me to be a positive influence and, and make a difference. There's no greater mission than that. So I appreciate your time so, so much. It's been such a pleasure uh, having you on this interview. I do have two more questions for you and then, Go for then it. we'll wrap up. The first is, I know there's so much that we didn't get to cover. There's so many, so many things that we could have drilled down into. But what do you think was the biggest thing that about yourself that I missed today? Like what was something that I should have asked about that I didn't? Um, should have asked, uh, what do I like to do for fun? And what do you like to do for fun? Oh, that's a really great question. I love traveling. You know, I told you I'm into computers and all that. So when I'm home, you know, playing games or, or dabbling on my computer is always great fun, but I do that for work also in front of the computer. I love to go and travel. I love to explore new places. And, and I got that passion from my mother who actually has a, a popular travel blog called travelswithsheila.com. 
and uh, still at the age of 77, I think, she still travels the world and still shoots video and blogs about it. And so this is a, you know, uh, in fact, that whole quote about um, invitation to dance, I think whoever made that, it was related to travel, um, you know, travel invitation. Uh, wish I could remember the exact quote, but it was something about unexpected uh, travel is an invitation to dance. And so when I see opportunities to go somewhere and be somewhere different, I love to go and see and do. And uh, the interesting thing about what I do is I never know where that's going to take me. And if you would have asked me last January 1st, where are you going in 2018? I would have said, well, the only thing I know for sure is that I'm going to San Diego to MC a live stage at Social Media Marketing World, but I didn't know anything else. Well, I ended up in Switzerland and Moscow and St. Petersburg, Russia, Ireland, um, Finland, Estonia, Chile, a bunch of American cities. But I didn't. But I didn't know I was going. Things came up. Things happened. Invitations. Um, opportunities arose, and so you know, here I am, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to see things happening and where March looked like it was going to be a really slow month. Now there's like three places I'm going and that I love that. I love going. So again, thank you so much. Uh, the the last question I have for you today, it's a bit of a selfish question. Um, Okay. So I'm 24. I run a few businesses. I have, I have my show. What question should I be asking you that I wouldn't think to ask? Well, you're a smart kid, and I'm going to call you a kid because my daughter is 24 and uh, my son is 27, and you're just getting started. In fact, at 24, you still have a year of the, the dendrites in your brain forming so that all the synapses are fully firing and you're going to see some more personal changes in how you think and, and interact. It'll happen slowly. You won't see it overnight, but you're going to look back and go, wow, I'm um, different than I was a few years ago. Um, <clears throat> but what question should you ask? I think just the fact that you're asking that question now Rather than asking me what question you should ask, I would talk to 16-year-old version of yourself and ask him, knowing what you know now, what question should he have asked? Because you know yourself better than yourself. And ask 20-year-old version of yourself. Then, once you've got, I think, know the answers to that, Maybe that'll tune you into what questions you need to be asking now uh, of the future. I just made that up. I think it makes sense. I actually think that's brilliant, and it just immediately started firing things in my head. So thank you very much for that. Well, you're welcome, and I appreciate you inviting me and asking some really great questions. And I, I wish you the very best. It's going to be exciting to watch your career and your path unfold. Thank you very much, Joel, and thank you for coming on the show. And to everybody who's watching and listening or reading or however you're getting this, thank you. I love you guys. Y'all are the reason that that we do this. So thank you so much. Joel, you want to wrap us up real quick? Hey, go out there and just uh, do good stuff. Make a difference. Great. Have a great day, everybody.